Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. This text is the basis for today's message, where Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a yota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Are you a Christian? If you answered yes, you're in the right place. Perhaps you might want to distinguish yourself from someone who would read a survey and simply check yes, even though they've never given any thought to Jesus' words or what they mean to his life. So you might nuance that a little bit and say, well, maybe I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe that conveys that, that what Jesus has said actually means something to you and your life. Of course, being a follower today even means something a little different, doesn't it? That if you were to count your followers online, well, those are the people that, that would see everything you've posted and would watch everything that you put online for you. But to be a follower of Jesus or to be a disciple as they understood it in their day it's not simply to listen to everything that someone says, but that the words that they said would actually make a difference and change how you live. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to hear his words and let those words change your life. Last week, we heard Jesus begin his ministry with a simple sermon repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and after he goes about that he begins to call his disciples to him gathering just average people to come and follow him in his ministry and you ever think what might have been going on through their heads as jesus calls them to follow him and they leave everything to follow him of what might be waiting on the other side, or what, might their what their my lives might look like as they continue to follow him. When our reading that we heard just a minute ago is a portion 
from a much larger speech given by Jesus, what we often call the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus explains well, what it means to really be his disciple, what your lives will look like and, and who you are. And you, you might find it interesting that the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount in, in the English translation is about 2,400 words. And for comparison, uh, a 2,000-word sermon is about 20 minutes. And I'm not going to tell you how many words my sermon is. But in this sermon that Jesus is giving, he explains who his disciples are, what they will be, and he tells them in this portion that we'll spend most of our time with today, that they are important to God's work in this world, that they are like salt and light for everyone around them. Now, again, with a, a normal sermon if you miss just a little bit, well then everything that follows might not make much sense. And so it is with Jesus' sermon that if you miss a little bit, the rest won't follow. So let's go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus begins this sermon by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's the key. That's the key, the little bit that you must know, and then everything after that will make sense. Jesus blesses the poor in spirit. Well, the poor in our world are, are the people who have no money or things. They have no wealth or assets or, or even a, a future hope of wealth to come. They have no value monetarily. So it is the same thing with those who are spiritually poor. They have no wealth, no value, no hope of future wealth either with regards to spiritual things. And we might be tempted to look at someone who's poor and think, well, surely you can make something of your faith. Surely you could do something to improve your knowledge of God. But these are the very people that Jesus blesses. He blesses the people who know that they have nothing of value that they can offer God. And it's those very people who God offers everything to them. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the world put right. You put right with God. You put right with everything around you because of Jesus and who are these, how do I become one of those blessed by Jesus? Well, it's simply those that were gathered around him. Those who wanted to hear his words and let his words change their lives. Not because they had any value of themselves, but because God had everything to give them. And what follows this first blessing are several more beatitudes or blessings which are not attitudes which you must be, but simply, or, or have, but simply more of the ways that Jesus looks at the those who have gathered around them and calls them blessed. And then we get to the portion that we read earlier. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that others, that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. You are salt and light. That's who Jesus' disciples are. Salt has three purposes. Of course, uh, it preserves food from spoiling, and and it brings out the flavor in food. That's the second one. And it even has a a sort of cleaning purpose, that if you dilute salt in water, that's what we call saline solution. And and light, well, it gives light in in, in in a bright place. You might think it doesn't make much difference, but light in a dark place, well, that draws people to it. And you might not think that, that following Jesus is, is something that, that matters to everyone else. But Jesus says that if you are a disciple of him, if you are a follower of him, then you are important to everyone else. That like salt, you bring preservation and flavor to those around you. That, that like light, you shine and illuminate the darkness in this world and you might think that it, it, there's not anything important about following Jesus, but it is very important and it is noticeable to those around you. Like eating a, a fine dinner and noticing the flavor. I've been told that, I read online this week, even though I'm not a good cook, that if you think something is missing from your food, simply add salt and that'll bring out the flavor. And like in a bland world, when you're eating a, a meal and you notice that flavor, it's, it's important, it, it's noticeable. And light in, in a dark place, in a dark hallway, in a dark room, in a dark forest, a, a simple light draws people to it. It is noticeable. And so are you, as followers of Jesus, that you are noticeable to those in this world, and you are important in God's work to call all to himself. So how do you be salt and light? Is there a certain level of saltiness that you have to have? Is there a certain level of brightness which you must muster up? Well, that's not what Jesus says. He says salt is simply salty. If it's not salty, then it's not salt. And lights, well, they shine. They, they light up dark spaces. You don't light a light and put something over it. That's counterproductive and even dangerous if you're using an open flame like they had. But salt is meant to be salty. It's meant to be noticeable. And lights are meant to light up dark spaces. That's simply what they do. And how can Jesus say something like this? How can he simply make these average people who had gathered around him, people who had nothing to offer God, but God had everything to offer them, and God makes them important in his work in this world simply by the power of Jesus' word. The powerful word of Jesus that could say to the raging winds and waves, peace be still, and they were still. He could say to a dead girl, get up. He could call out to Lazarus in the tomb, and he would come out. This powerful word of God that said, in three days, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it. And he was right. 
that when they killed Jesus, his words still came true, and he rose from the grave. You might think, well, well, possibly he faked it. Maybe you could fake drowning in water. Maybe you could fake death in a large fire. Maybe there's a small chance that a lethal injection wouldn't work, or an even smaller chance that everyone on a firing squad would miss. But you can't fake death on a cross. You can't fake the very gruesome, very painful, very public death on a cross. Jesus was dead. And yet, the very powerful word of Jesus is still true. That three days later, he rose from the grave. That Jesus' Jesus' words were powerful enough to raise himself from the grave, and it's powerful enough for you when Jesus says to you, I love you, your sins are forgiven, you are blessed, you are salt, and you are light. How is this done? What does it mean to be a salt and light in your life? If you are a noticeable and important part of God's work in this world, if people would, would think of you as salt, as a flavorful and preservative in a spoiling world, if you would be as noticeable as light in a dark space, well, maybe you think, and, and all of this was also, you know, completely given to you all by God, by his grace, freely. You might think on one side, well, that must mean that we can get rid of all these rules. That, that to be the most attractive person, to get everyone to, to follow Jesus and see him, that maybe we can get rid of all of these rules that Christians are known for. That if following Jesus is the most important, we should remove all hindrances. And not only that, it is all those rules that, are, that Christianity is known for. Well, they're a little bit burdensome for us, too, as, well, they show us that we're hypocrites. That they prove that, that we're not able to follow the lifestyle that we claim to follow. So maybe we should just get rid of them. Or even in the world that says, you know, the best way to have the best life is just to remove all hindrances, all rules, all regulations, and and that would be the best life. Jesus uh, gives his next point in his sermon that addresses that very point. He says, do not think that I have come to to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The law and the prophets, what we know as the old, what we call the Old Testament, known for all of its rules and regulations of if you're going to be a person of God, you have to do all these things, or so it was uh, thought, that all of these rules don't simply go away as the disciples hear Jesus' words, that they are made disciples of him, that they are given all the blessings of God and made to be an important role in his work, that, that, that doesn't mean that all of it's gone, but all of it's fulfilled. That our need to live up to those standards is met, not because the standards go away, but because Jesus fulfills them for us. You see, all those rules in the Old Testament, all of those things had a purpose. And, and the, the reason why there was all these rules is because 
God designed this world to work his way. He created it. He gets to decide. And he designed this world to work best when, when everyone does simply two things. Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you could follow those two rules, well, that would be the perfect life. That would be how God designed you to live in this world. And so the problem was not the rules. The problem was not that we needed to get rid of all these things, get rid of God's design for the perfect life here. But the problem was us. The problem was our need to pick our own rules. So Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And so we are set free, and we are redeemed and saved from living our own perfect lives that only lead to death, to living to, and being brought into living in God's version of, God's perfect version of the perfect life. And so, so quickly we can turn to the other side, that it, it's not about getting rid of the rules, but, but maybe if we're set free to live in this, we'd better shape up and act like it. That if we're going to follow Jesus, we should show everyone that we truly can follow Jesus. And if we are going to show everyone how to follow Jesus, we better do everything. And so quickly we turn to the other side of the argument where it's all about meeting these standards, meeting these rules. And so quickly Christianity becomes another religion of legalism where to be a Christian you must show it by following all of these things and jesus says well if you want to do that i suppose you can but if you're going to do it that way then your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and pharisees the professional rule followers the experts at doing things the right way that if you are going to to if not on this side but on this side you're going to try and make it well, then you've got to be the best it's got to exceed the righteousness, must exceed those scribes and Pharisees. But maybe this righteousness is not about a, a batting average. Maybe it's not about trying to chalk up as many correct things against all the wrong things. What if Jesus is not talking about a righteousness of quantity, of number, but a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees in quality. That this is a righteousness by faith. That Jesus, the life with Jesus, this perfect life, it is not about living up to something. It's not about giving up either, but it's about living in Jesus. Living knowing that you have nothing to offer God, that God has everything to offer you and everything that God has offered you, it makes you an important part of his work. That when people see you as a salt and you as light, that they would give glory to God, the same God who gives generously to them. So what does this look like in your life? What does this look like to be salt and light? To be a noticeable and important part of God's work in this creation. 
to be a light that draws people out of the darkness, to be salt that adds flavor, that they would see what you have done and give glory to God. Well, maybe it's easy for some of us to think of, of ways to do that, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's uh, in your work. Maybe it's in your, your homes and in your families. Maybe it's in your neighborhoods. Or maybe God is calling you to step out into a new area, a new part of life to become salt and life to those people waiting for you there. That no matter where you end up, no matter where you find yourself, that God has made you important, important to his work. God has made you flavorful and God has made you a light. God has made you noticeable so that when those opportunities show themselves, you can tell people about Jesus' love for them. Knowing that it's nothing that you've done to, to earn that spot. Knowing that you have simply been brought into this life by God's grace to live in God's perfect vision for the perfect life. Not because there is any value in yourself, but because God had everything to give to you. And the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and minds in the one true faith. Amen.